You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, As-Siratu Nabawiyyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous two sessions, we've been talking about the beginning of the hijrah, the migration from Mecca to Medina. So the beginning of this next major phase of Islam and the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nubuwa Risala, the mission of prophethood entering its to, into its second major phase. Of course, the Meccan era in and of itself is the, the first major phase. But we've, through our study, alhamdulillah, over the last almost three years, we've been able to appreciate a lot of the details and nuance and the lessons that can be taken from that entire Meccan era of 13 years of preaching and teaching in the city of Mecca. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the, uh, the end of the Meccan era and the beginning of the Medinan period, the Medinan era. And we've talked about the hijrah, the migration of individuals interesting stories, remarkable stories, how the hijrah even initiated, how it began, how the process started, and then very remarkable stories of families and individuals, and the great sacrifices they were making, and the difficulty that they were enduring and able uh, to be able to leave Mecca and migrate from Mecca to Medina to be able to practice their Islam, their religion freely and properly. At this point in time, we've reached a position in the end of the previous one, we talked about how most everyone, pretty much morning and evening, every single day, there were numerous individuals that were departing every single day. On the other side from Habasha in East Africa, you had Muslims beginning to arrive there in Quba and in Medina, um, who were going straight from Habasha from Africa to now join in Medina. And at this point in time, the only individuals, only Muslims remaining in Mecca, of course the Prophet ﷺ, with him was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Ali bin Abi Talib um, and they were both there for the support of the Prophet ﷺ. And the only other individuals remaining aside from these three were was anyone who was being held back, was anyone who was, you know, being... Um, uh, somebody that was being held captive. So aside from that, anyone else who had the ability to go, depart, leave, had already left. So there were a handful of people, a few prisoners, captives, being held captive by their own families. And then there was the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. It is at this particular juncture in time that the scholars of the seerah, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, Ibn Kathir, Al-Waqidi, uh, Al-Bayhaqi, many of the scholars of the seerah, they mentioned that at this particular point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the, the following ayah to the Prophet ﷺ. This is surah number 17, surah al-Isra, ayah number 80. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah to the Prophet ﷺ. وَقُلْ رَبِّ أَدْخِلْنِي مُدْخَلَ صِدَقٍ وَأَخْرِجْنِي مُخْرَجَ صِدَقٍ and the tafsir of this ayah, Ibn Kathir ta'ala mentions, that this ayah was revealed to the Prophet as a dua that he should be making morning and evening at this particular juncture in time. And that was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet and say, 
say the following dua. Rabbi, O oh my Lord, my master, my caretaker. Adkhilni mudkhala sadaqin. Allow me an honest, a truthful, a dignified. See, a lot of times we use the word sidq and it typically translate as, translates as honesty or truthfulness. But it's representative of dignity, honor, integrity. So allow me, adkhilni mudkhala sadaqin. Allow me to enter with a very dignified entrance into a place that is dignified. وَأَخْرِجْنِي مُخْرَجَ sadaqin. And allow me to leave, extract me from Mecca. So allow me to enter into Medina in dignified fashion. And take me out from Mecca in a dignified manner and fashion. وَجَعَلِّي مِنْ لَدُنْكَ سُلْطَانًا نَصِيرًا And make for me, especially from you, as a special gift from you, some type of proof and evidence that will be very helpful. That will be a constant source of strength for me. And so Ibn Kathir ta'ala from Ibn Abbas ta'ala he mentions the tafsir of this Qatada rahimahullah, one of the a'imma of tafsir from the tabi'un. He says that mudkhala sadaqin refers to al-madinatul munawwara. Mukhraja sadaqin, to leave, is referring to al-hijra min Makkah, to leave and depart from Makkah. And this constant source, this very authoritative source of constant strength, that the Prophet ﷺ is requesting, Kitabullah. It is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That allow the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be this constant source of strength for me. Through this very arduous phase and this very great you know, journey that I'm about to undertake. At this particular time, before we talk about the Prophet ﷺ leaving and departing and exactly what happened. The Prophet ﷺ is now making this dua morning and evening, day and night, all, all day long. He's engaging in this dua. And asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow this and make this possible for him. At this particular point in time, it mentions that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, wa kana Abu Bakr kathiran ma yasa'thinu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fil hijrah. He was constantly coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and inquiring, when are we going to do hijrah? When should I go? When are you going to go? When should I go? When are you going to go? Because there was a lot of anticipation. And even some anxiety was growing as well that, you know, day by day in Mecca, we're left in fewer and fewer numbers. And the last thing that I would want is for you to be trapped here, for these people to be able to lay their hands on you. Of course, he had full yaqeen and belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would protect him. But the love that a person has for someone else also manifests itself oftentimes in the form of concern. And so Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala was concerned for the well-being of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ kept telling him, لا تعجل, لا تعجل يا أبا بكر. Don't rush, don't worry. لَعَلَى اللَّهُ يَجَعَلُ لَكَ صَاحِبًا Don't leave in too much of a hurry. I'm very hopeful that Allah will give you a partner in your journey. A travel companion referring to himself. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala kept hoping that that would be the Prophet ﷺ. So now, there's this situation. The Prophet has held Abu Bakr and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhumah back. He's making dua morning and evening. Now what's going on on the other side? On the other side, the Quraysh realized that Mecca is pretty much emptied out from all the Muslims. There are half a dozen people that are prisoners with their families. <clears throat> Here we only see Muhammad and maybe one or two of his people with him. So they start to realize everyone's pretty much gone. These people have fully bought stock into this small town, Yathrib, and they're going there, and they're basically finding a new home and support over there. 
But this sense him, there was this growing concern in Makkah as well that what's exactly their plan? How is this all going to play out? So they decided to gather and have a bit of a meeting. And it said that they gathered together, Darun Nadwa is what they used to call it. It was the Dar of Qusay bin Kilab. So it was a little, um, some quarters or an office or a conference room that was built off to the side of the Haram, the Kaaba. And that's where they used to hold their meetings and their councils. So they all got together there. They called for a big meeting and everyone got together there for this meeting. The narration of Ibn Ishaq from Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, it mentions something very interesting about this meeting that لَمَّا اِجْتَمَعُوا لِذَلِكَ وَاتَّعَدُوا أَنْ يَدْخُلُوا فِي دَارِ النَّدْوَةِ لِيَتَشَاوَرُوا فِيهَا فِي أَمْرِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم غَدَوْا فِي الْيَوْمِ الَّذِي اِتَّعَدُوا لَهُ وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ يُسَمَّى يَوْمَ الزَّحْمَةِ So this incident that we're about to talk about now is oftentimes referred to as يَوْمُ الزَّحْمَةِ The day of rush. Um, and so they set a day for a meeting. All the biggest leaders, all the head honchos, anybody, everybody who was anybody in Mecca was given a notice to gather together for this meeting at this particular place. So they get together there. But the narration mentions, فَعَتَرَضَهُمْ إِبْلِيسِ لَعَنَهُ اللَّهِ فِي هَيْئَةِ شَيْخٍ جَلِيلٍ عَلَيْهِ بَتٌ لَهُ فَوَقَفَ عَلَى بَابِ الدَّارِ Iblis, shaytan, showed up to the meeting. And he came in the form of a very old senior man. And he was wearing kind of a cloak, and he stood right there at the door. So when the people were all entering in, all these leaders, the head honchos of Mecca were walking in, and they see this old man wearing a shawl, standing at the door. So they said, Manishayikh, who's this guy? We don't recognize him. So somebody said, Shaykhum min ahli najd. So somebody said that he must be one of the seniors from the people of Najd, and he probably heard about this meeting, and that's why he came down. So he's come here so that he can listen to you, sit in on your meeting. And so somebody said, Listen, we have a really big issue on our hands. We need every opinion that anyone has to offer. So who knows, he might have some good advice to offer in this situation, so go ahead and call him in. So they asked him, go ahead and please join us in the meeting. Now everybody gets together. Some of the names that are mentioned there are Utbah, Shayba, the sons of Rabi'ah, Abu Sufyan, Tu'ayma bin Adi, Jubair bin Mut'am bin Adi, Al-Harith bin Amr bin Nufayl, Al-Nadr ibn Al-Harith, Abu Al-Bakhtari, Zam'at ibn Al-Aswad, Hakim bin Hizam, Abu Jahal of course, Nubay bin Munabbah, Ibn Al-Hajjaj, Umayyah bin Khalaf, all of these people who were pretty much everyone who ran everything in Mecca, they all gathered together there. And they said, Look, Muhammad and his whole situation has played out as you can see it. They said, we're not going to sit here and wait for him to go ahead and take all of his people, go wherever he's going, go over there, gather a bunch of support, and all of a sudden show up at our doorstep one day with an army to attack us. We're not going to wait for that day. So we need to figure this out. How are we going to handle this? So they all started talking. The first one, Abu al-Bakhtari, who spoke up, he said, He said, why don't we just chain him up, lock him up? We'll chain him up, lock him up, 
you know, put him in a prison and throw away the key. Well, why not just do that? And he goes on to explain, Lock him up and throw away the key. There's been other like troublemakers before him. We'll just lock him up, throw away the key, and just wait for time to do its thing. And then he'll die just like those other people before him died. Shaitan speaks up. فَقَالَ شَيْخُ Najdi. Right? So Shaitan speaks up. And he says, لَا وَاللَّهِ مَا هَذَا لَكُمْ بِرَأْيٍ He says, this is not a good idea. وَاللَّهِ لَإِنْ حَبَسْتُمُوهُ كَمَا تَقُولُونَ لَيَخْرُجَنَّا أَمْرُهُ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الْبَابِ الَّذِي أَغْلَقْتُمْ دُونَهُ إِلَىٰ أَصْحَابِهِ فَلَأَوْشَكُوا أَنْ يَثِبُوا عَلَيْكُمْ فَيَنْتَزِعُونَهُ مِنْ أَيْدِيكُمْ ثُمَّ يُكَاثِرُوكُمْ بِهِ حَتَّى يَغْلِبُوكُمْ عَلَىٰ أَمْرِكُمْ مَا هَذَا لَكُمْ بِرَائِيًا He says this is not a good idea. Why? Because if you lock him up, he's got a bunch of followers already outside. And what you'll end up doing is you'll end up making a cause, a martyr out of him. And this will even, this will rally up all of his support and his supporters. They'll become even stronger. This will invigorate them, agitate them, and, and cause them to come together. And who knows, they might be able to gather enough support to show up here, fight you, be able to break him out from here. And then, what are you going to do about it? Now it'll be an even bigger problem. Because now you have this group of people that will be activated, they'll be agitated. Right, so how are you going to deal with that? So this is not a good idea. So they kept on trying to figure things out. All right, anybody else got any other ideas? Fatashawaru. Right, they said that. All right, somebody else come up with something. So somebody else says from amongst them, Said, let him leave. In fact, don't even let him stay here for another day. Just kick him out now. Let's just get rid of him. Let's just force him to leave. فَنَفِيهِ مِنْ بِلَادِنَا And we will exile him from Mecca. So when he's gone, we'll be able to clean up the mess that he's made over here in Mecca. And he goes about his business. Why do we care? So why don't we just kick him out from here, exile him, tell him never come back ever again, and we won't harm you. And then we can actually get things back under control over here. So of course, shaitan, of course, he speaks up again and he says, لَا وَاللَّهِ مَا هَذَا لَكُمْ بِرَائِينَ he says, this is not a good idea. أَلَمْ تَرَوْ حُسْنَ حَدِيثِهِ وَحَلَاوَةَ مَنْطِقِهِ وَغَلَبَتَهُ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِ الرِّجَالِ بِمَا يَأْتِي بِهِ Don't you see? He's, he has a way with people. He has a way with words. He has a way with people. He has a way to change the way people think. This is, this is, his, this is his talent and his ability. He changes people's beliefs. And you think you're just going to exile him from here and be like, all right, we're done. Well, the problem will still exist and it will only grow. So, Wallahi, لَوْ فَعَلْتُمْ ذَلِكَ مَا أَمِنْتُ أَنْ يَحِلَّ عَلَىٰ حَيٍّ مِنَ الْعَرَبِ فَيَغْلِبَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِذَلِكَ مِنْ قَوْلِهِ وَحَدِيثِهِ حَتَّى يُتَابِعُوهُ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ يَسِيرَ بِهِمْ إِلَيْكُمْ حَتَّى يَطَعُوكُمْ بِهَا فَيَأْخُذَ أَمْرَكُمْ مِنْ أَيْدِيكُمْ ثُمَّ يَفْعَلُ بِكُمْ مَا أَرَادَ أَدِيرُ فِيهَا رَأْيًا غَيْرَ هَذَا He says he's just going to go find his support, he's going to show up here and crush you. So this is not a good idea. Somebody else please come up with a better idea. The narration mentions it in such a way that Abu Jahl this entire time was biting his, was biting his lip. He was just kind of holding his tongue. He seemed like he had something to say, but he wasn't saying it. 
And when a couple of people gave the ideas that they gave and they were turned down, and they opened the floor back up, now Abu Jahl just couldn't hold it in any longer. And Abu Jahl spoke up and he said, Wallahi inna li fihi, inna li fihi la ra'yan ma arakum wa qa'atum alayhi ba'du. That I have an opinion on how to handle him, but I know that you people aren't going to like this. Like, you're not going to like what you hear. He goes on to explain. They they said, "Wama huwa, ya Abul Hakam? What is it? Tell us. We we don't seem to have any other ideas. We've explored all these other possibilities." He said, "Ara an naqhudha min kulli qabilatin fatan shaban jalidan nasiban wasitan fina." We should from every single family, not just tribe, but from every single major family of Quraysh, from every branch of Quraysh, every family in Quraysh, like the extended family branches, from each and every single one, we need to recruit one man, a young man, who is the son of the leader of that family, that tribe. And this, this young man has a lot of promise and a lot of... Um, he holds a reputation amongst his people. He's valuable to his people, to his family, to his tribe. We need to recruit one such person from every family, from every tribe, from every branch of Quraysh. Then we will give each and every single one of them a sword. They all will come together, surround, lay siege to the house of Muhammad And when he comes out from his home, all of them will attack him at the same time. And regardless of who ends up killing him, who doesn't, everybody make sure that they are able to stain their sword with the blood of Muhammad ﷺ, so that the murder can be pinned on any one person. minhu, And will be done with Muhammad ﷺ, our problem will be done. فَإِنَّهُمْ إِذَا فَعَلُوا ذَلِكَ تَفَرَّقَ دَمُهُ فِي الْقَبَائِلِ جَمِيعِهَا now the responsibility of his blood, of his murder, will lie upon each and every single tribe and family in Mecca. Everyone's responsible, everyone's a part of this situation. فَلَمْ يَقْدِرُوا بَنُوا عَبْدِ مُنَافِ عَلَى حَرْبِ قَوْمِهِمْ جَمِيعًا بَنُوا عَبْدِ مُنَافِ The family of the Prophet ﷺ, they can't fight the rest of Quraysh and the rest of Mecca. It'll be impossible. So then they will have to settle matters. فَرَضُوا مِنْهَا بِالْعَقْلِ فَعَقَلْنَا لَهُمْ And so then they'll obviously have to defer to accepting blood money. So we'll give the blood money very gladly. And not only that, but even that blood money, whatever that price of blood is, it'll be distributed. It'll be distributed amongst all the families. So what do we, what do we care? So he says, this is what we need to do. Shaitan speaks up again. There's obviously a lot of hesitation in the room. Because they're sitting here talking about killing somebody. And not only that, I mean, these, a lot of these people are murderers. So it's not like killing is a real big problem. But they're talking about, you know, for them, what is considered spilling sanctified blood. They're talking about murdering in cold blood. They're talking about murdering the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. Because even they understood that, you know, legally, in terms of keeping and maintaining order, this is a slippery slope. So everyone's hesitating, everyone's worried about taking such a drastic step. So shaitan speaks up again, and shaitan says, Al-qawlu ma qala rajul What this man said is exactly what we need to do. هَذَا الرَّأْيُ وَلَا رَأْيَ غَيْرَهُ 
He said, this is the opinion. There is no other opinion besides this one. فَتَفَرَّقَ الْقَوْمُ عَلَىٰ ذَلِكَ وَهُمْ مُجْمِعُونَ لَهُ So they all dispersed from that meeting and everybody had pretty much agreed, this is how we're gonna handle things. While this meeting is basically concluding and everyone's coming to terms with, this is what we're going to do. This is how this is situation is gonna play out. On the other side, the Prophet of Allah receives a visitor. None other than Jibreel alayhi salam. He comes to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, لا تبت هذه الليلة على فراشك الذي كنت تبيت عليه Ya Rasulullah, do not sleep in your bed tonight. You will not sleep in your bed tonight, Ya Rasulullah. So, when night time came, when night time settled in, فَلَمَّا كَانَتْ عَتَمَةٌ مِّنَ اللَّيْلِ اِجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ بَابِهِ يَرْسُدُونَهُ مَتَى يَنَامْ فَيَثِيبُونَ عَلَيْهِ so they all gathered around the home of the Prophet ﷺ to basically wait for night to kind of settle in. And now there are two narrations. One narration says they waited for him to go to bed, go to sleep, and then they would break in and try to kill him. Or the second narration says that they just laid siege to his house at night, that early in the morning when he comes out from his home, then at that time basically we'll grab him. فَلَمَّا رَآ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مَكَانَهُمْ The Prophet ﷺ is inside of his home, and he sees all these people gathering outside with their swords. He says to Ali bin Abi Talib, now with him is Ali bin Abi Talib and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Or the narration actually mentions Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu is at his home. The, as soon as Jibreel alayhi salam came to the Prophet the Prophet sent word to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu that I want you to start getting things ready. Tonight, we leave, we depart. And so Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu had already put some preparations into place. Whatever he was able to arrange from before, he was trying to stay ready. And the Prophet here is in his home. He turns to Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who is with him, and he says, Nama ala firashi wa tasajja bi burdi hadha al-hadrami al-akhdar fanam fihi. The Prophet said, I want you to sleep in my bed, and I want you to pull this this shawl, this sheet over yourself, this blanket, and it was a green hadrami, it's from, it's from Hadramaut, it was this green hadrami blanket that the Prophet ﷺ used to use, and he said, I want you to go ahead and pull those covers over yourself, fanam fihi, and sleep here. But then he told him, فَإِنَّهُ لَنْ يَخْلُسَ إِلَيْكَ شَيْءٌ تَكْرَأُهُ مِنْهُمْ He said, but don't worry, these people will not be able to harm you. These people won't be able to lay a finger on you. They won't be able to do anything to you. Now, the narration goes on from here that when all these young men who have gathered to assassinate Rasulullah when they gather around, Abu Jahl comes to them. And he stands there to kind of organize them and he says, إِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا يَزْعُمُ أَنَّكُمْ إِن تَابَعْتُمُهُ عَلَىٰ أَمْرِهِ كُنْتُمْ مُلُوكَ الْعَرَبِ وَالْعَجَمِ He says that, this man inside of this home right here, Muhammad, he tells you, he thinks that if you follow him, you will become the kings, the leaders of the Arab and the Ajam, the Arabs and the non-Arabs. They'll all follow you. But not just that, he also says that you'll be resurrected, brought back to life after death. 
And he said that you'll be given unbelievable gardens in that life of the hereafter. وَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلُوا But if you don't follow him, this guy inside Muhammad, he says, كَانَ فِيكُمْ ذَبْحٌ You'll be killed off eventually. The punishment of Allah will come on you. ثُمَّ بُعِثْتُمْ بَعْدَ مَوْتِكُمْ And then you'll be brought back to life after death. ثُمَّ جُعِلَتْ لَكُمْ نَارٌ تُحْرَقُونَ فِيهَا And then a fire will be made. You'll be put in that fire and you'll be burned in that fire. Abu Jahl without realizing it probably gave some of the most awesome da'wah ever given, right? It's perspective. It's all perspective. Look, listen to what he just said. It's like a khutbah right there. But his perspective is one where he is stating the, all of this. These are facts. Like this is exactly what we would say. But he's staying, stating this with disbelief. Right? So he says all of this and while he's giving them this, saying this to them, or after he says this to them, the narration mentions that فَخَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وسلم, So yes, while he's saying this, the Prophet وسلم, is inside of his home. And he hears Abu Jahal saying everything he's saying. فَخَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ The Prophet وسلم, comes out from his home, he reaches down and scoops up a handful of dust or dirt. ثُمَّ قَالَ نَعَمْ أَنَا أَقُولُ ذَلِكَ he says, yes, I do say exactly that. Alright, he says, that's exactly actually what I say. And he says, وَأَنْتَ أَحَدُهُمْ And you're one of those people who's going to meet the fate that you just talked about there at the end. وَأَخَذَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ أَبْصَارِهِمْ عَنْهُ فَلَا يَرَوْنَهُ فَجَعَلَ يَنْثُرُ ذَلِكَ تُرَابَ عَلَىٰ رُؤُوسِهِمْ وَهُوَ يَتْلُ هَذِي الْآيَاتِ And the Prophet ﷺ, the narration says, they didn't see the Prophet ﷺ. And he took this dust that was in his hand, the dirt that was in his hands, and he went and he started to throw the dirt on them. And he started reciting the ayat, Yaseen وَالْقُرْآنِ الْحَكِيمِ إِنَّكَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ عَلَىٰ صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ تَنزِيلَ الْعَزِيزِ الرَّحِيمِ لِتُنذِرَ قَوْمًا مَا أُنذِرَ آبَاؤُهُمْ فَهُمْ غَافِلُونَ لَقَدْ حَقَّ الْقَوْلُ عَلَىٰ أَكْثَرِهِمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا فِي أَعْنَاقِهِمْ أَغْلَالًا فَهِيَ إِلَى الْأَذْقَانِ فَهُمْ مُقْمَحُونَ وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا فَأَغْشَيْنَاهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ The Prophet ﷺ recited the beginning part of Surah Yasin. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yaseen wal Quran al Hakim. He swears by the wise Quran, the wisdom of the Quran, that most definitely you are from the fraternity, the brotherhood of prophets and messengers. Inna kalamin al Mursaleen. You are on the straight path. And this revelation that you are reciting is something that is being consistently, bit by bit, piece by piece, revealed by the one who is almighty, all powerful, and most merciful. And this message is being given to you so that you can warn a people whose forefathers weren't warned, and that's why you find them so difficult to communicate with. But unfortunately, for many of them, their fate has been sealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of their stubbornness, their disbelief, their insistence, and they will not end up changing their minds about you. We have, it is a, the example of their, the state of their hearts, their faith, their belief. It's like we've put a chokehold around them that holds their head up, locked up into place. And they're not able to see what's in front of them even. And then finally, the ayah the Prophet ﷺ recites is that we've put in front of them a huge wall that obstructs their ability to move, to see, to change, to realize. And we've put a huge wall and an obstruction behind them, which doesn't allow them to realize, you know, the truth. And then we've covered them up 
from on top and they don't see anything. So he's reciting this and he's throwing this dirt. And thus some of that dirt landed onto the head of each and every single one of these people. The Prophet ﷺ turned from there and he left. A little while later, somebody comes to them and they see everybody just kind of standing around holding their swords, somebody who was not too far away. And Abu Jahl is standing there with them as well. And they're just kind of standing there, staring at the house of the Prophet ﷺ. So somebody walks up to them and he says, uh, what are you waiting for? It's like, uh, like what? What are you doing? And he said, Muhammadan. We're waiting for Muhammad. And he's like, Khayyabakumullah. Are you kidding me? He says, Qad wallahi kharaja alaykum Muhammad. I just saw him walk by. I passed him by on the way here. Like I walked by him, like, hey, how's it going? And he's going good. And he just, he just kept walking along. What do you mean you're waiting for him? I just saw him. And thumma ma taraka minhum rajulan illa wa qad wada'a ala ra'sihi turaban wa antalaka lihajati fama tarawna ma bikum. فَوَضَعَ كُلُّ رَجُلٍ مِنْهُمْ يَدَهُ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِهِ فَإِذَاهُ عَلَيْهِ تُرَابٍ And so he says, and there's dirt in all of your hair, like on your head. And all of them checked their head and they found dirt and dust in their hair, in their head. And ثُمَّ جَعَلُوا يَتَطَلَّعُونَ فَيَرَوْنَ عَلِيًّا عَلَىٰ الْفِرَاشِ مُتَسَجِّيًّا بِبُرْدِ رَسُولَيْهِ so they all rushed to the house to look inside the house and they said, look, he's sleeping there. What are you talking about? He's sleeping right there. He's been there the whole night. And so one of the narrations mentioned that, that they basically break into the home, into the house after a lot of argument. And when they walk up to the bed and they pull the covers back, they see Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu there. One of the narrations mentioned that basically they say, look, he's right there in bed. We need to stick to the plan. We need to stick to the plan. So they basically all go and wait outside and when morning time comes, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu wakes up and walks out and they're all like, uh, that's not him? Where is he? And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I don't know, he's gone. And they actually talk among, some, some people are so outraged, they want to kill Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu on the spot. And they say, wait, 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 that's not the plan. Killing one guy from the family of Abdul Muttalib is bad enough. We don't need to kill another person. Right? And this is the son of Abu Talib. How are we going to explain this to people? What, what, what justification would we have? So they leave Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and they basically now try to you know, reconvene, gather themselves and figure out what are they going to do in this situation. Ibn Ishaq mentions in another narration that one of the other verses of the, uh, about this incident, some other ayat of the Qur'an that were revealed about this incident, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Anfal, ayah number 30, That when those who disbelieve, they got together and they were trying to figure out what to do with you, what to do about you, and they said either we should trap him, or we should exile him, or we should kill him. They were there making their plans. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a plan laid out from before. And Allah is the best of planners. 
Another uh, narration mentions that the ayat of Surah Tur were revealed. أَمْ يَقُولُونَ شَاعِرٌ نَتَرَبَّصُ بِهِ رَيْبُ الْمَنُونَ Now he's just a troublemaker, a poet, a troublemaker like the others before him. Why don't we just lock him up and wait for the days to go by and for him to just die? So قُلْ You say to them تَرَبَّصُوا You keep on waiting فَإِنِّي مَعَكُمْ مِنَ الْمُتَرَبِّسِينَ I'm right here waiting right along with you. We'll see how this situation plays out. فَأَذِنَ اللَّهُ لِنَبِيِّهِ عِنْدَ ذَلِكَ بِالْهِجْرَةِ And this is when the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was given permission by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by his Lord and his Master Allah, to now make the migration, to leave Makkah and migrate to Al-Madinatul Munawwara. There are two things that we need to talk about at this particular juncture. Number one is of course now, what was the process of their migration? What was exactly their hijrah and you know, how they went about it? And a big part of that story is, what preparations did Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu make? It's very fascinating, it's very interesting. His planning, his intelligence, his strategy. So we need to talk about that, and we'll talk about that in the next session. What I'd like to take the opportunity here to talk about, because we've, we've mentioned it here a little bit more prominently, and that is, there's one real fascinating thing, and this can kind of be the take-home lesson from today's you know, class, today's session. Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his behavior here is, you know, to the unbelieving person, it's bizarre. Because we understand سَمِعْنَا وَطَعْنَا Right? السَّمْعُ وَطَعَا When the Prophet tells you, go to sleep, you go to sleep. When he says, lay down here, lay down. That is what it is. But still to understand his thought process. Let's get a little insight into the mind of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu at this particular point in time is in his early 20s. If we take the narration which most historians and scholars of Sirah do, and that he was 10 years old when he accepted Islam on the second day of prophethood, then he's 23 years old at this particular point in time. Here's this young man, there's a couple of dozen people outside of his home, holding swords, waiting to assassinate the Prophet And the Prophet says, alright, here's the plan. You're going to sleep where they're expecting me to be sleeping. <laughs> and... I mean, just, what is that? That basically is, that's, that's a death mission. Right? That's just laying down for your own death. That's your deathbed right there. But the Prophet ﷺ told Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and this is the part that, you know, I wanted to mention. So the Prophet ﷺ had kept Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu back so that he would have a travel partner, a travel buddy in his hijrah, in his journey. He kept Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu back because Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu being that, you know, uh, assistant, that confidant of the Prophet somebody that he could rely and depend upon. The Prophet kept him back not only for this, you know, obviously he was meant to play a major role on the night of the hijrah, but also the Prophet at that point in time gave him, you know, whatever amanat, trusts that were kept with the Prophet Because even though many, most of the people in Makkah didn't believe, those who were not like very, very fierce opponents and key members, leaders of the opposition, everybody else, the common citizens of Makkah, even though they didn't believe, they didn't agree, they still acknowledge the fact that this man is extremely trustworthy. You can leave anything with him, you can trust him. He'll never lie, he'll never cheat, he'll never take anything, he'll never steal. And so... The Prophet ﷺ had all these amanat, these trusts, these deposits, these things that were put with him, kept with him.
Records and you know money and different different types of things. So he told Ali radiallahu ta'ala, here's where I got everything stored. I need you to spend a couple of days in Mecca after I'm gone. Look, it's not going to be easy. They're all going to be looking for me. They're constantly going to be harassing you. But I need you to stay strong. I need you to stay back. And I need you to return all of this on my behalf. Because I can't just abandon and leave it here. That goes against everything I believe, everything I preach. I'm not able to do it myself because of a life-threatening situation. I mean, they're outside. They're trying to kill me. So, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded me to leave. So that's why I'm trusting you with it. And then the Prophet ﷺ, when he told him to lie down in the bed, the Prophet ﷺ said that they will not be able to harm you or hurt you in the least bit. Somebody asked Ali bin Abi Talib who years later, when they're talking about the story of the Hijrah and the migration, and this part of it comes up, and somebody turns to Ali radiallahu ta'ala I mean imagine you're talking about We're talking about the hijrah here Fascinated Imagine Ali radiallahu ta'ala Are sitting there So they're talking about This hijrah migration Later on And Ali radiallahu ta'ala Is right there And so somebody just looks over to him And he goes Oh my God That must have been the most terrifying Terrifying night of your life I mean they're outside They're trying to kill him And they think you are him You're lying in his bed Wearing his shawl like that must have been the longest night of your life. And narration mentions that Ali radiallahu ta'ala who says that, Wallahi, I don't remember a night that I've slept better. I knocked out, I passed out, I woke up in the morning, I slept like a rock. I was out solid. And somebody asked him like, you know, not to judge you, but that's kind of weird. Right? Like what's wrong with you? Like how could you sleep? They're out right there trying to kill you. And he said that you have to understand. You know, what do we believe about Rasulullah Wasallam? He's the Messenger of Allah. Every word, every statement out of his mouth is the truth. It's the truth. He tells me, he tells me, Ya Ali, number one, they won't be able to harm you. Number two, you will return all my amanat from me. And the third thing that I didn't mention, he says, and Ya Ali, I'll see you in Medina. I'll see you in Medina. He says, when the Prophet ﷺ told me, see you in Medina, I was like, alright, I'll see you in Medina. It's the truth. It's a part of like, Sharia now. I have to go to Medina. It's a part of the deen. So I wasn't worried. I didn't, I didn't sweat, I didn't worry, I didn't fret, nothing bothered me. And this is kind of reaching forward a little bit. But that's okay because we're talking about Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu here. Eventually we'll talk about the Prophet ﷺ making the hijrah and the migration next session. A few days afterwards, once Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu is done distributing everything, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sets out. And to set out basically towards Al-Madinat Al-Munawwarah. He doesn't have any transportation, he doesn't have any ride, he doesn't have anything really. So he basically makes this entire journey on foot. Keep in mind, we travel by bus. When we go for Hajj or Umrah, we go by bus from Mecca to Medina. And I know in Hajj and stuff, it takes a little bit longer because of all the traffic and everything. But even if there's not a lot of traffic, it's not really busy time of the year. Five hours, six hours, by bus. Alright, with a crazy Saudi driver. Okay? 
he's traveling on foot. I mean, imagine how long it took. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala takes him, you know, maybe weeks. He's traveling on foot. By the time he gets to Al-Madinah to Munawwara, he arrives there. He's extremely ill. He's very, very ill. He's got some serious, you know, virus or infection or flu or something. Traveling through the desert all by yourself. He's dehydrated. On top of that, his feet had started to blister so badly that he had his feet were just completely infected. You know, they, they, there was pus and boils and his feet were just completely messed up. He had started to take like some extra clothing yet and just keep bandaging and wrapping up his feet. To the point when he finally arrives there in Medina, he's at the point where he can barely walk. He's just stumbling along and his, the bandages are just soaked with blood and pus. And he arrives in this condition and when the Muslims see him, find him like this, they, you know, they, they take him. The Muslims in Quba, they ask him, of course, he tells them, I'm Ali ibn Abi Talib, and they, they've been expecting him. The Prophet had said, you know, my Ali will be coming. So they've been expecting him, so they take him, but they realize his condition so bad, that he's not in any shape. It's a miracle that he even made it. So they immediately put him into bed rest, and start giving, start treating him, remedying him, nursing him back to health, medication, all of that. The Prophet ﷺ, the next day he hears that somebody brings him the news that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Prophet ﷺ is in Al-Madinah al-Munawwara at this point. He's moved on from Quba to Medina. The Prophet ﷺ hears that Ali has arrived in Quba. And the Prophet ﷺ, when somebody comes to him and tells him that, Ya Rasulullah, you know, nobody came and told you, we forgot to inform you, Ali, he arrived in Quba yesterday. And the Prophet says, that does not sound right. That doesn't sound right. That does not like my Ali. Because if Ali arrived here, if Ali arrived here, the first thing that he would do is come see me. That doesn't sound like Ali. So the Prophet realizes something must be wrong. So the Prophet goes to Quba. And when he walks in, they show him where they're keeping him and taking care of him. When the Prophet walks in and sees Ali radiallahu ta'ala there, you know, he's got, you know, fever, cold sweats, and his feet are propped up and they're just, just like really bad shape, just torn up. And the Prophet walks in and Ali radiallahu ta'ala sees the Prophet and he says, Ya Rasulullah, I wanted to come visit you. First thing I wanted to do was see you, but Ya Rasulullah, I can't, I can't even walk. And the narration says, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu starts to cry. The Ya Rasulullah, I was so excited and looking forward to and happy about this moment, but Ya Rasulullah, look at me. Look at my feet, look what happened to them. And the Prophet said, don't cry, don't cry, it'll be okay. And the narration says, the Prophet took some of his saliva in his hands. He took some of his saliva in his hands, he rubbed his hands together, and he started to massage the feet of Ali radiallahu ta'ala. Started to massage his feet, blood, pus, everything with his bare hands. Before we talk about the miracle that took place, imagine the love that the Prophet had for Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he's holding his feet and massaging his feet, even though they're all filled with blood and pus. Ali was like one of his own. 
He loved Ali radiallahu ta'ala so much. So he takes that saliva in his hand and he starts massaging his feet. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala says, Wallahi, Wallahi, my feet were like instantly healed. When the Prophet removed his hands from there, my feet were fine. It's as if nothing was ever wrong with them. And on top of that, Ali radiallahu ta'ala says that for the rest of my life. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala lived on to become a very old man. He lived till the age of 60 plus. He says that, Wallahi, for the rest of my life, it, didn't matter, it did not matter what I went through, what my situation was. I could walk a hundred miles. My feet never hurt ever again. I would be tired, I would be fatigued. It didn't matter what happened. But my feet never hurt ever again. That was the miracle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa so this is where we're at. So going back to where we left off, the Prophet ﷺ leaves the home, the kuffar, the Quraysh are not able to see him. He leaves Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu in his home, and the Prophet ﷺ goes straight from his home to the home of Abu Bakr, a Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and from there we'll inshallah pick up and carry on our study of the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ from the prophetic biography. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the love of Rasulullah sallallahu And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasafiru wa natubu ilayk.